weird service because I asked you questions. Um, I want to say that this week and every week, I hereby say if you want to interpose or interrupt or say something, just fire up your hand and I'll turn to you straight away and you can say it. Um, I, I want us to be open that, that we can all encourage one another here. So if there's a point where you want to say something, say it. And if you jump ahead and say what I'm going to say, fantastic, because it means you're on the right, well, either you're on the right track or on your, you're on the same track as me. Hopefully those are the two same places. Um, can I just see, hands, show of hands here, um, who's married? Show of hands, who got married in a Christian service? Um, who got married and their Bible reading was 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Okay, isn't that interesting? We'll speak to, um, uh, do some pastoral visitation with Graham because he's going to be back at black and blue. I don't know if you heard what he said. He whispered over here, I wouldn't have a clue. Mark said the same thing. <laughs> right. Okay, there's some serious issues here. Well, let's move on. Because we're doing 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today, which is kind of known as that bit that we use at the weddings, because it sounds all cool. But let's have a, let's have a read what uh, Paul says. He says at the end of um, chapter 12, he says, All of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is part of it. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First the apostles, second the prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have gifts of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. And then he says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? And God's people say, no. Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But, but hang on a second. Let me show you a way of life. So we're not dealing with gifts here. He says, okay, let's interrupt what we're talking about. The gifts... We're talking about spirituality. Let's interrupt that. I want, you to, I want you to know about a way of life that is best of all. Paul says, if I could speak the languages of men and angels. And there might be some here who have the gift of tongues. If I've got this. But I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I, I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains. One of my favorite books is Adrian Plass, where his family walks in on him yelling at a paperclip because he reckons if he can't move a paperclip by faith, how is he going to move mountains? 
If I had such faith that I could move mountains, not just paper clips, but mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't have love, I would have gained Zippo. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It, it doesn't rejoice about injustice, but, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, they will become useless. But love, love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial. It's incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy, well, it reveals only part of the whole picture, but but when full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. Now, when I was a child, uh, I spoke and thought and I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I, I put away the childish things. Now we see imperfectly, like a, in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I now know is partial. Or rather, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. A little bit into next week's one there. And I want to suggest, I'm sorry, uh, hopefully you all had fantastic preachers who did the right thing by this passage if you had it at your wedding. But the problem with 1 Corinthians 13 is that it's one of those passages which we can use kind of anywhere we want to speak about. Love. Love is patient and kind and forgiving and tender and ah. It's, it's nice, nice words. And it's nice words to use because it's one of those weird chapters where Jesus isn't mentioned. So we can use it anywhere, can't we? It's not going to offend anyone to speak about love. Problem is that, like all problems, we can take things out of context. This is a passage about love, yes, but 
but it's a passage about love written to a church which is not loving. And the immediate context, remember we said last week, chapter 12, starts Paul's discussion about what is true spirituality. What is true spirituality? I mean, are we spiritual people? Yes, we're spiritual people. But there is false spirituality and there is true spirituality. There is Eastern meditation, that's a kind of spirituality. There is Buddhism, that's spirituality. There's New Age, that's spirituality. There's Wicca, believe it or not, it's quite popular. That's spirituality. There's, there's crystals, there's whatever, there's Muslim faith, there's Baha'is, there's, you name it, there's lots of spiritual options out there. And Paul says to them, I want you to know what true spirituality looks like. And part of that that we saw last week is that, that as we, do, we look and we are truly spiritual, God actually gives us gifts. And it's true and it's right that God gifts things to his church and provides every single person in the church with a gift to bless and build and grow the church of Christ here today. And we said last week, uh, I said, put up your hands if you're a Christian. And then I said, put up your hands if you have a gift. And we said, yes, actually all of us have a gift from God. If we are Christians, we have been gifted. Now the problem with the Corinthian church is that they were, like so many churches today, there are, there are people out there who are in exactly the same situation as the Corinthians who say that true spirituality is measured by your giftings from God. Have you met those people who say, ah, yes, you are a real Christian if you speak in tongues. Ah, yes, you are a, a true Christian if you have the gift of prophecy. Tongues is the big one, isn't it? I don't know why. Because it, it sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? Oh, wow, they're speaking unknown languages. Speaking the languages of angels and men. Boy, God, must they must be so close to God. And there are people who speak in tongues and it is a valid and accurate, uh, uh, it's a true gift from the Spirit. Paul agrees it is a valid, legitimate gift. So is wisdom and a word of knowledge. We looked at these last week. And the Corinthians have all of these things, but, but at the same time they... Their wisdom stands against the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and their, their knowledge is unconcerned about destroying another person's face, faith. And, and they speak all these tongues and languages of angels and men, but at the same time they put up with idolatry and greed and uh, sexual immorality in the church. For the Corinthians... To be spiritual means speaking in tongues. And just think for yourself, what is it, what do you think if you think, ah, a really spiritual Christian is? 
a really spiritual Christian does. And I think what we're going to see today for Paul, a true sign of a Christian is not the gifts of the Spirit. Is not the gifts of the Spirit, but in a sense, the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit par excellence, the one sign, this person, well, taken with other things, but if a person is absent of this sign, you've got issues. If you don't have love, if you don't have love, you're whistling in the wind. Even if God has given you a gift. I mean, how do I consider my life spiritually significant? How do you consider your life spiritually significant? Do I, do I weigh my spiritual significance by how well I preach? By how many times I preach a message and 40,000 people come to the front and give their lives to the Lord? Do you weigh your spiritual significance by how you do the sound, how you do the singing, how you serve, how you care, how you give money, how you give your time, how you put in effort, how you pray, how you read the Bible? Is that how you weigh your spiritual significance? I am a super spiritual person because I read 15 chapters of the Bible a day. I'm a super spiritual person because I pray for an hour every morning. What do you do? Is that how we measure ourselves? The sign of the Spirit of God is whether we love. Remember the motto of our church, the tagline, the slogan is, is loving God, loving people. And there's a reason for that because if you take away the word love, what are we as a church actually all about? Paul starts here in in chapter 13 with the gift that the Corinthians prized the most. What does he say over there? He says, "I, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but I didn't love others, I would be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if you are speaking in tongues without love, you are as bad as the pagans. Now Corinth was, was the kind of place where you would often find the banging of cymbals and gongs. They'd use them in the worship of Dionysius, the, uh, the god of, well, basically the god of good times, the god of wine. And they'd also use them in the worship of Sibyl or Sibele, the goddess of wild animals. And, and basically this was how you would worship. You'd go bong, bong. Now, sometimes I have a habit. Oh, this is a series of Nicholas's bad habits. That when I'm, I just tap like that, just when I'm bored or something. 
And after a while, Taryn turns to me and says, Stop! <laughs> That's just a repetitive droning noise. It will drive anyone insane. It's the same sort of thing. Paul says, you guys, you're talking in all these fancy languages. You know what? If it's, not without, if it's without love, it's like you're droning on like the pagans. You're making this horrible noise that is just irritating. It doesn't get you anything. He goes on, he says, well, what about prophecy? Speaking revelation from God. Prophecy is about uh, revealing God to build up the church. Um, uh, uh, today, prophecy um, is about, uh, I think, speaking what God has already shown, but, but sometimes God still reveals things, but for the most part, it's, it's showing what God has said, what God is doing, what God is going to do. It's all about prophecy centers on Jesus Christ who died and who is coming back. Um, there are lots of false prophets in the world today, but there are, there are one or two people who can speak for God. Um, Paul says elsewhere when it comes to prophecy, we'll see this next week a bit as well, you've got to test them. But he says, okay, so some of you have the gift of prophecy. Maybe some of you have the gift of understanding everything God knows. I love Paul puts that word, all knowledge. He says that maybe you possess all knowledge and all of God's secret plans. Maybe you've got that amazing trust, faith. Good. Good stuff. Wonderful gifts from God. They're not worthless, but... But if you don't have love while you're practicing those gifts, there is no real value in what you are doing for yourself, for eternity. God can still use it if he so desires, but, but it's not gaining you anything. I may be successful. I may be applauded. But as far as God and eternity are concerned, if I have love, if I have no love, I am nothing. Do you know that, that parable of Jesus, Matthew 7, where they stand before him and say, Lord, we cast our demons, we did this, we did that, we served in your name. And Jesus looks at them and in effect he says to them, 723, that is so impressive, that's fantastic. Who are you? Without love, who are you? It goes on in verse 3. It says, well, what if you were to give away everything? One giant act of compassion. Or is it compassion? One giant act, rather, of philanthropy. What if you even burned your body, sacrificed yourself for another, and made sure you got a really nice big plaque put up for you? So you can boast about it after you're dead. Paul says, do you think, do you really think that God looks at you and goes, wow, that guy gave away everything. Tick, 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 tick. tick. How rich was he? Oh, wow, that's lots of ticks next to his name. Of course not. You can be motivated by pure self-interest. And Paul says, when you add it all up, all up if you have done it without love, you have nothing. 
which is a big blow to us who are so proud of our philanthropy, but have not love. Who here has a sponsored child? Who here writes to their sponsored child regularly and sends them presents and gifts? And My hand goes down. I was saying to Taryn just the other day, I've got this sponsored child, but I have written to him once in the last two years. Now, the sponsorship is doing some great things for him. He's, he's doing wonderful things, and in a sense, that's an act of love. But, but boy, I want, to, I want, challenged by this passage, to love more. Because at the end of the day, God will look and say, well, okay, so you gave him some money. Were you actually concerned about him? Did you actually worry about him or think about him? Were you actually one who loved? I'm so glad that God is a God of forgiveness and second chances. We know whether someone is really Christian by whether they love others. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. So what does love actually look like? Well, Paul uses uh, uh, the word here, uh, if you've been in churches for a while, you would have heard the word agape love. It's, it's not the usual word for love. Uh, Greek has got two or three different words for love, but agape love is one that the Christians took and molded. It's, it's a special word for this kind of love. Um, it's, it's, the love um, it's the love that is defined by who God is. As John said there, God is love. It's, it's love that reaches out to those who doesn't deserve it, uh, don't deserve it. It's love that puts the interest of others first. It's love that forgives people and gives them second chances. It's love that sacrifices itself for others, not for credit, but just for them. It's love that, that is caring and forgiving and spontaneous. It's love that is defined by God's redeeming actions for us. You know, we could go through verses 4 and 7. Just, just have a listen to what it, Paul writes here. He says, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus does not demand his own way. Jesus is not irritable. Jesus keeps no record of being wronged. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but he always rejoices when the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up. Jesus never loses faith. Jesus is always hopeful. Jesus endures everything through all circumstances. You can put in the name of Jesus, the Father, and the Son when we come to chapter 13, verses 4 and 7, because as Paul describes what love looks like, and if John says to us, God is love, then if we are describing love, then we are describing God. And if we are describing God, we are describing love. Paul says to us here, I want to show you the most excellent way of life. What is it? It is God's way of life. God is, God is love. God is this, God is this. God acts like this. God is this. That is love. 
That is love. Love looks like this. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to define love, but it's easy to recognize love. It is easy to recognize love because love acts. Love is recognizable. And the kind of love, of course, if if we are describing who God is, then then Nicholas over here is going to find it really difficult to be like that because Nicholas is Nicholas and God is God. But this is the most excellent way of life. It's impossible unless God loves us so much that he comes and works that love in us. You see, this is why Paul speaks of love in the context of spirituality because if you are truly spiritual, you have the Spirit of God living in you. You have the Spirit of God who is love living in you. You have the Spirit who is defined by love living in you, bubbling up from within you so that you are being changed to be like Jesus who is what? Who is love. And true spirituality is loving. Have you ever come across someone who is just wise beyond words and seem to be so hyper-spiritual and they've got all the right answers but they don't? You look at them and you think, actually, they despise me. Have you ever come across someone like that? Have you ever been someone like that? I've done both. I've experienced it and I have caused others to experience it. In your bulletin, there's some homework for you to do. Um, Read those four verses. uh, Four, five, six, seven. Read it through once. Read it through again. Replacing the word love. Replacing the word Jesus for the word love. and, And think through how Jesus acted. And then read it through a third time, putting your name instead of the word love. Mark is patient and kind. Mark is not jealous. Mark is not boastful. Graham is not proud or rude. Colin does not demand his own way. John is not irritable, keeps no record of wrong. Nicholas does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Put your own name in there and prayerfully ask God to make that true. What is love? Love deals with the darkness inside of me. When it says that love is patient, it's talking about not patient with respect to circumstances, but patient with respect to people. And if patience is a passive thing, then love is active because love is also kind. It goes out of its way to do good. If you're jealous, 
Love is the antidote. It does not envy. People who love don't begrudge others their gifts or their positions or their possessions. Love doesn't have an air of superiority. Love is humble. Love doesn't act rudely. Love love turns me away from myself and towards others. Those first four or five, that's, that's about love being the opposite of the darkness within me. Love turns away from me and cares for you. We go on, second half of verse 5 and 6. We can so easily become loveless when, when I am face to face with the sin and weakness of someone else. Karl Barth, the great theologian, said, A neighbor can get dreadfully on my nerves even in the exercise of what he regards as and what may well be his particular gift. So they're acting on the gifts of God. And Bart says, they can still get on my nerves. Love cannot alter the fact that he gets on my nerves or she gets on my nerves, but love rules out my being provoked by that. See what he says there? People get on my nerves, but love doesn't allow me to be provoked by that. Other people are just like us, that they are sinners. And sometimes we suffer for that, directly, indirectly. But love forgives. And love forgets. See what Paul says there? Love keeps no record of wrongs. God is the God of countless second chances. I give two or three tops. No, says Paul. If you love, if you are seeking to follow the most excellent way, if the Spirit of God who is love is living and working and breathing in you and changing you into the shape of Jesus Christ who is himself the expression of God's love, then then how many second chances do you give? How many second chances do you get? God is, of course, the God of justice, and there will come a time when those who do wrong will face God's justice, but if they ask forgiveness, they will be forgiven, and where there is repentance, love forgives. Goes out of its way to forgive. And in fact... If we look at the life of Jesus, he goes out of his way to forgive even before we ask for that forgiveness. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly, to bring us to God. And we've got this dark side in us, Australia's home videos. Australia's home videos. Um, we laugh at people who fall and crash and burn. Um, but that's the opposite of love. Love longs to see others stand and grow. Love 
Verse 7. Never gives up, never loses faith. Doesn't Love just always trusts God. Love lasts forever because, because it is the character of God. All the gifts of God are for now. One day we will be made like Jesus. We will know him as he knows us. It's right for us to be children when we are children. But the one thing that will last from now till forever is love. The love of God is greater far than time or tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond Mark. I think we should sing that, don't you?